The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com. I'm delighted to be back with you again for another week. And uh, first, I'd just like to start by saying a big thank you again to our guest last week, Michael Carroll. Um, I left uh, the show just feeling really inspired, and, and there was some great feedback that came back. And for me, although it's been a really busy week, I did actually take Michael's advice, and I, I actually meditated. And I have to be honest, it really felt um, felt good. You know, the value of taking the time to be still for 30 minutes was just a, a rare luxury, and I just wish uh, I could have actually done more. And if you're listening here and you've got young children, you're thinking, crikey, how can I find the time? Well, I'm the same, and uh, this week I've been getting up and helping get the kids off and sometimes taking them to school and nursery, and I do appreciate that, you know, sometimes by the time you get to work, you kind of feel like you deserve a round of applause. Um, but, but taking the time out, uh, it's, it's when you can, I think it's really worthwhile. So have a listen to it. In, in the show, he talks about some slogans that you can think about to be fearless at work, and uh, they're well worth reflecting on. So so to today's show, so let's, let's talk about media coverage for your business. And it's a subject that we haven't really discussed much on the show so far, which I think is quite surprising considering it's our 64th episode. So... How do you best get your message across through media? You know, how do you attract media interest? And what are the key do's and don'ts of communicating via newspapers, magazines, websites, radio, and on the TV? Uh, my guest for this show is media and presentation coach. He's a broadcast journalist. He's an award-winning international speaker. And his name is Michael Dodd. And Michael speaks and trains across six continents. Um, he helps leaders and other professionals to get their message across through the media and also face-to-face. And he runs master classes, boosting communication skills for diplomats from UK trade and investment uh, in British embassies, consulates, and high commissions around the world. He's been awarded the new Speaker of the Year title from the Academy Chief Executives. He works with frontline United Nations officials to help them convey the right messages when being interviewed in the world's trouble spots. He helps clients give great answers to nightmare questions. So I'm delighted to have him on the show. He's a great guy, and I think he's going to really help um, equip as well today. Uh, he's also an Australian. He's, he's based in the UK. He always starts his emails with G'day, uh, which if you've ever been to Australia like myself, you know is a very addictive phrase, and you soon start to pick it up. So um, uh, G'day, Michael Dodd. G'day, Chris Cooper. And uh, may I say, uh, that's probably the most courageous start to a program I've ever heard, because uh, when you're going to talk to a guest and then you introduce him saying how wonderful it is to meditate and uh, be silent for 30 minutes, it, uh, it's a courageous signal to send out to a guest, because I was very tempted to do just that. 
<laughs> really? I promise you I won't. <laughs> Don't do it right now. Yeah, do it, do it in an hour or two <laughs> after you've listened to this. Excellent advice. <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it, meditation? Because it's something, I mean, it can seem as though it's a bit sort of woo-woo, but more and more um, executives and uh, uh, and businesses are starting to really see the value in it. And I, and I thought uh, Michael, who'd been very senior in the Disney organization, just really helped uh, me understand the importance of that. So, And, and some of the, the lists from the feedback. So, so Mike, Zen, Zen Buddhist uh, teacher at uh, at. Uh, school where I went to uh, in Manly, where I know you visited, and uh, he taught us uh, how to meditate, and uh, it is uh, something you can take through life. I can imagine it's probably a nice place to sit on the beach there, and, or, or sit out looking over your, with a nice sea view and uh, doing it. So it is indeed. Nice town there. Uh, great, so Michael, uh, maybe we could start with, um, actually I'll tell you what, we'll start, we'll start with what we were talking about, your most difficult question, which is, what is an Australian doing living in London? Why do you choose to live here? Yeah, that is uh, the question that Australians uh, living in London uh, face most of the time. And uh, I was so perplexed by this, I actually made a program uh, for the BBC about it, about why so many Australians like me come over here. And for me, it's uh, really like London is the centre of the universe. And uh, Australia has wonderful beaches and uh, we do have more sunshine than you get here in Britain. But uh, as a journalist, uh, I suppose uh, by training i'm wanting to be absolutely where the action is and london feels like uh, the place you can uh, get planes to anywhere you can get uh, even a train to paris and uh, so uh, it's really being at the heart of things i see myself as living in europe in general uh, rather than just in britain and uh, you know the fact that you can uh, get on a train and end up in uh, brussels for example uh, or uh, you can be so close to uh, places that we uh, used to read about a lot in school but never get to visit um, it just seems like uh, if you want to be where the action is, uh, this is the place. I think I think even if you go to Australia, you kind of appreciate that. Um, I certainly did. I think Australia is a wonderful place, and, and I miss things about it uh, not being there now. But uh, there's a lot of things when you're there that you really appreciate about your home country, and, and it is great being in England. You can get to places, so lots of different diverse cultures. It's not, not a long period of time, really. Yeah, I remember uh, being on a family holiday in South Mole Island, which is uh, off the coast of Queensland in uh, the Whitsundays. Fantastic weather, fantastic uh, uh, things to see, great boating and everything. So it really is a kind of paradise. And uh, I remember the guy who was our host uh, for the holiday makers taking us down to a jetty and we were going to go to uh, some other islands on a boat. And at the end of the jetty was one of those really old-fashioned phones, and all it could do was ring up the boat place and say, uh, we're there. So it was kind of uh, something that had been there for years, uh, not exactly high-tech. And uh, he picked it up, and uh, we were all there, and uh, he was quite a sort of fun kind of guy. And he picked it up, and he just said, get me London. <laughs> and I remember thinking at that, that moment, um, you know, it's wonderful here, but, you know, I bet there's all sorts of really, you know, exciting and profound things happening in London. And uh, I think a lot of uh, Australians feel that gravitational pull despite the, uh, the splendours of Australia. <laughs> Great. So let's, let's move into uh, talking about media. And I wonder, Michael, just maybe start off by helping people with uh, the definition. What, what do you define media as being? Well, for my purposes, when I'm uh, showing people how to get free publicity, it's uh, mainstream media, I suppose. So I would differentiate myself from uh, the uh, social media experts 
and uh, I would just uh, identify, you know, TV, uh, national, international, local, radio, the same, uh, local newspapers, trade press. So it's that mainstream press as opposed to uh, the uh, social media where you can get your media, you can get your message out in a different way. But uh, I suppose the defining thing between the two is with social media, you've got absolute control over what you put out. Whereas uh, when you are invited live on a TV program uh, and you're asked things or you're invited to talk to a newspaper, you're to a certain extent in their hands and therefore you have got less control over it. So it's uh, potentially more dangerous territory. And uh, that's why people need to know about it before they leap into too far too fast. Uh, that's a very helpful distinction and, yeah. and I say, although I said at the beginning of the show we, have, we haven't talked about media, we've talked a lot about social media but not about mainstream media which is what we're talking about, about here so I wonder Michael, what, what from your perspectives are, are the challenges that uh, people face when trying to attract interest from the media to promote their products or services I suppose they are facing journalists who are busy and in fact I think journalists are more busy than they used to be it's uh, a tough time for uh, the newspaper industry, for example, uh, these days, uh, where they're having trouble competing with online. And so uh, the answer from the industry has been to have fewer journalists and also to let those journalists they do have uh, get out and about less often than they used to. So you've got journalists sort of uh, typing away, uh, slaving uh, over a hot keyboard, and uh, they're being uh, put under pressure, really, to produce more stories than uh, they used to. Sort of uh, back in the days, uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, journalists had more time and they might just be spending a day working on one story. And typically, these days, uh, journalists are, are pulled in uh, many more directions. And therefore, you've got to be able to grab their attention and present them your story in a way that they find irresistible despite the competition right, so, so actually are you giving them are you, are you giving them something you know quickly almost on a plate yes uh, i mean uh, I, i've heard people say oh journalists are lazy um which is not really true but if they've got a choice between the easy story and the hard story then uh, the easy story where, you know, the, the facts are there and uh, there's a, an interviewee who is, uh, you know, really good talent, then that's going to make life uh, you know, much more uh, uh, easy for them. And also in terms of their output, um, you know, they can produce something that, that looks good, uh, sounds good, um, much more quickly. So uh, a big part of the art of getting your message across in, in the media is to make life easy for journalists and present a story typically, ultimately, the way they would do it themselves. If you can actually get into the mindset of a journalist, you can then say, ah, well, you want stories, I've got a story. And if you can write it in a press release, for example, the way that they would write it themselves, then you've got a, a massive head start over everybody else. And there is massive competition. Press releases, you know, one of my colleagues uh, has estimated that in a, in a, in a normal newsroom anywhere, uh, in, in the Western world anyway, uh, you've got uh, news releases coming in at about one every five seconds. You know, they come in by the mailbag load, uh, they come in by fax for those people who still use them, and by email, uh, you know, it's massive because it's so easy to send a uh, news release. And so a person who is uh, at a newspaper, at a TV station or radio station, who is uh, what's called the news editor, they've got to decide what's a possible story and what to leave out. 
they're inundated. So they don't have a lot of time to read masses of pages before they make a decision. So typically they're making a decision based on a head, an, an initial decision based on a headline and the first sentence. And if you get that wrong, then uh, you're destined for the cutting room floor. <laughs> so so you, you literally need to be sending them a one page, do you? Most press releases are far too long, and they're also too self-indulgent. They're all about, uh, you know, we do this and we do that. Uh, I think uh, you mentioned that you've had uh, the fantastic Angie Egan on your program, and uh, I picked up a term from her, which I'm happy to credit her with, uh, and that is uh, she talks about people um, saying, you know, we do this and we do that and we do this, and she calls it weeing on the audience. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, not a very pleasant image. And what you've got to do when you're trying to effectively sell your story to the media is not so much we do this and we do that, but what we can do for you. And people often uh, get that wrong. And so uh, the emphasis on a press release should be, you know, what your impact can potentially be on those reading it rather than all about yourself. Right. Okay. So, you, you, so you're you're thinking about the audience and, and providing something that's beneficial for them, as opposed Absolutely. to you've got to be totally audience focused. And you're thinking, you know, what is it in my company, in my organisation that I do that we're we're doing that has an impact on the readers or the TV viewers of the media outlet that I'm trying to target. So if is that a bit about you know yourself? You don't actually see the impact that you can have on others, and that's really where the story is. So, so actually it's about what can you give as opposed to what you can get. Because is, yes. is that a key distinction? That's a great distinction. And the other thing is getting to the point right at the start. You know, the first sentence of the press release has to say what the story is. And people typically start with, oh, let me give you some background and journalists, uh, they may want background at some point, but they don't want background up front. Uh, you need to get to the heart of what's actually happened. Uh, uh, an illustration I would use is just suppose you are uh, following, uh, you're a journalist and you've been put in charge of following a very important person around. Uh, let's call the person Politician X. And so you're following them around for a day to write, uh, to write some stories about uh, what they do. And the first thing they do is visit uh, an old people's home and uh, they have cups of tea with the senior citizens. Then they go to school and they take part in singing with the children. And then they go and visit a hospital and uh, shake hands with the patients. And then they go to give a lecture and they're just stepping out of their uh, massive uh, limousine and they get onto the pavement and uh, someone with an axe comes along and plunges the axe into their chest and they die in a pool of blood. Now, if you're going to write that up, you would start off saying, as a journalist, uh, politician X has been assassinated. That's yeah. the action. But the way you get a press release, the way a lot of people write it is, oh, the day started well for politician X. You know, <laughs> he went to old people. Then he went to the school and had a sing song. Then he went to the hospital to meet the patients. And then he got assassinated. And, you know, that's uh, the mindset you've got to get people out of. You've got to say, let's start with the action point and then... You deal with the chronology uh, because people might be interested in what uh, assassinated politician X was doing uh, three hours before he was assassinated, but it's not the first thing they want to know. And you've got to start put yourself in the minds, not just of the journalist, but of the reader or the viewer. What do they need to know first before anything else? And that's the starting point of a great press release.
Great stuff. Well, uh, we're going to go to a commercial break now, but we should be back um, shortly with uh, lots of top tips for attracting media and uh, tips for when you actually engage with the media. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of bemoreachievemore.com, and I'm with Michael Dodd, and we're, we're talking about tools, techniques, and tips for working with uh, national media so so michael i wonder what are your top tips for attracting the type of media that you want for your business well i would start with uh, the outcome you're looking for i suppose and if you think you've got a story that uh you know merits uh, national attention then go for the nationals you know go for the washington post or the uh, uh the london times if you're thinking well uh you know we don't uh have anything that we're doing which would interest those because uh they're too big and too important, then think local. You know, what is it that people in this town would be interested in? And are we doing something, you know, that's new, that's exciting, that's different, uh, something that's never been uh, done before? The media love STs, uh, like first, last, most, biggest, best. So if you look at your own organisation and think, you know, are we doing something which uh, on any of those fronts qualifies uh, for, uh, uh, for, you know, being a, an ST, then, uh, you, uh, may be able to have a fighting chance of, uh, getting in the media to come and cover it. Uh, sorry. Uh, so, so what, what did you say an ST was again? Yeah. yeah well, it's a, it's a word with ST in it, like first, last, okay, gotcha. <laughs> best, biggest, highest, longest, whatever. Anything that, uh, you know, is out of the norm. Uh, there was, uh, a great American definition of, uh, of news about, uh, you know, news is when, uh, uh, a uh, not a dog bites a man because that happens too often. But when a man bites a dog, that's news. 
And so you're looking at anything that's out of the ordinary uh, as a starting point uh, is often helpful. And uh, I suppose the other thing is anything that has uh, an economic impact or a, uh, uh, a, um, an emotional impact on the audience. So, for example, uh, you know, the media are full of stuff on sport, and you might say, well, whether a certain sporting team wins or loses doesn't really matter much for the economy, typically, but it has an emotional impact on the people of that city if they follow that particular football team. And so uh, if you actually think about impact on people, things that they actually care about, then uh, that's often where you can find that you've actually got a story. Makes a, makes an awful lot of sense. Um, but, but but unless you've been uh, privy to that, it's maybe it's maybe you wouldn't think about it when you're uh, you're writing these uh, things and trying to communicate. I mean, what what, well, are, what are your when I'm running workshops on these things? Uh, it's interesting that you know people typically say, "Oh, my company's just an ordinary company, and uh, you know I'm just uh, an accountant, so uh, you know I'm not doing anything very interesting." And then when you just push and prod, actually, and you and you ask them the kind of question, "Well, are you doing anything that's unusual? Anything that uh, hasn't been done before?" And um, quite often they are. And if you take accountants are the greatest ones. Uh, I train a lot of accountants, and they're great at putting themselves down, saying how dull they are. Uh, and yet, um, accountants, if you take senior accountants uh, in, a, in a company, I mean, they are often dealing with massive, you know, multi-million or billion-dollar projects. And uh, they can be dealing also with, you know, cutting-edge new um, government laws and how they affect people, uh, you know, economically. And... Uh, if you push them, um, actually, you can find that there are, you know, um, stories there that they they don't see because they're not journalists. They don't see it as being a story. But uh, if they can get themselves into the mindset of a journalist, then uh, they can actually convince themselves that, A, they've got a story, and, B, with a bit of training, they're actually interesting. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's a good question. I know that's, just... shocking. I know that's shocking, Chris, but uh, you can actually persuade accountants uh, to uh, look into themselves, look into their companies, and uh, they can, <laughs> to their own surprise, uh, realise that uh, they're far more fascinating than uh, than people give them credit for, and that they give themselves credit for. <laughs> it just reminded me of uh, a, um, a finance director of a company that I was found myself working with, and uh, we did some a kind of profile to understand different people in the organization. He realized he had so much money, more sort of multidimensional skills than just finance, and he hadn't sort of considered that, you know, the, the fact he did the star turn every year at the Christmas party meant that maybe he could, you know, do other things with his career. Um, uh, he just hadn't considered that. It just was a natural part of what he, what he does, but it's not, not the norm for an accountant. No, um, they are very good at putting themselves down, and I, I think uh, I think a lot of other professions are as well. They see themselves as, uh, if you're looking at media eyes, they sort of think this media world, that's where other people, other important, interesting people appear, and then there's my world. And uh, well, I suppose what you're looking for, really, when you're trying to push them is, uh, you know, where is the overlap point between that? I mean, sure, there's a lot of things that they're doing that, that may be dull. And the thing is that when you're talking to the journalist, you don't highlight those. You go for the action point where they're doing something that is going to actually affect the readers and viewers. People often get a bit obsessed, I think, when they're dealing with journalists. They're going to say, oh, is that a nice journalist, uh, you know, who'll be interested in stuff? Um, or is that a horrid journalist uh, who won't? And uh, the point is that I think journalists, particularly when they're interviewing people and they're trying to sometimes put them under pressure, we're, we're capable of both. Um, you know, we can be nice and charming uh, and we can also be uh, pretty tough and even annoying at times. Uh, but uh, the thing is that um, a good journalist can spot a story 
uh, if it's presented to them in the right way. And you often want to think past the journalist, nice or not nice, and think of the audience. You know, who is reading that paper and what have you got for them? And any journalist, uh, you know, worth uh, uh, their salt will instinctively be able to recognise, ah, that actually is a story. And uh, that's really uh, uh, a mindset you need to get people to think about, that uh, it's not so much uh, to do with niceness, and it's not even a matter of who you know. People often think, oh, the media, you know, you've got to know the editor of a paper or whatever, you know, to uh, actually have a chance of getting in it. And uh, actually, uh, journalists are far more influenced by uh, the strength of a story, and if you present it in the right way, in a way that uh, they realise that uh, they can grab their audience with it, then they will run with it. So, so what are your what are your top tips? You, you, uh, you, you've got a, a journalist in front of you who's interested in in running a story with you and is interviewing you. What are your top tips for uh, being interviewed? Well, uh, first thing is, and just some people don't realise this, only tell the truth. Um, sometimes people have this idea that you actually make it up and it comes back to haunt you. Uh, I think we've got quite a few Americans listening to us at the moment and they probably remember a guy who I was reminded about uh, when I was in uh, Kansas City uh, uh, addressing a conference last year and there was this guy who said, uh, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Uh, and obviously it came back to haunt him, even though many Americans uh, and many people around the world regard him as in high regard. So Truth, absolutely. Journalists actually are driven by finding the truth. So don't say anything other than an exact truth. And then the next one, get to the point uh, right away. If you've got something, you've decided that, you know, this is the fascinating side of the story, then don't give all the background and context up front. Get straight to the heart of it as to what the element of the story is that's going to have an impact on the, on the audience. And uh, I suppose the other thing is, uh, well, do tell stories. I mean, what do we call the things in the newspapers? We call them articles or we call them stories. And the thing is, people like stories. And, uh, you know, often uh, they think, oh, well, we'll put out, uh, you know, something about the company and we'll give all the facts. Uh, and, uh, you know, the journalist isn't so much interested typically in, you know, all the details about, uh, you know, the company's last results, uh, but they're interested in the bit that, whatever the company's doing is going to have an impact. So if they're going to bring out a new wonder product that's going to, uh, you know, uh, revolutionise people's lives in some way, then that's the bit they're interested in. So uh, make sure that you are focusing on, you know, the impact that you can have on people. And the other one, and people often forget this, uh, apart from just stories and actually putting it in the form of a story, uh, the other thing is colour and emotion. People think, oh, well, they just want facts. And while they want the truth, what they're interested in is a combination of facts and emotion. Uh, because if it's all facts, it can be dry and dull. And, uh, you know, you could give someone, uh, you know, the, uh, the telephone book for, uh, you know, Cleveland, Ohio. And, uh, you know, say, well, there's a telephone book. You're a journalist. There's lots of facts in there. You'll be interested. And typically they're not. What they're interested in is, is, uh, you know, the emotional impact of facts. So it's a matter of thinking, oh, I need to actually find the point of the story that touches people emotionally uh, as well as uh, perhaps physically. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I kind of wonder, uh, one of the things that I find quite interesting in, is, is often there's, a, there's more kind of negative, interest in negative press than positive press and good news. Uh, I mean, what's your experience of that? 
are, are things uh, if, if you've got a story which is more um, positive yeah. is, is that is that uh, how how um uh, uh, if, if a story that you've got is more positive is it actually better being written with a more controversial negative slant to get interest or does it not matter what's your well, if you're running about your organisation, you're not wanting to highlight the negative, although if there is a negative implication, then uh, yeah, perhaps you're duty-bound to make some reference to it. I think, overall, uh, the media had a little bit too skewed towards negative news, but you've got to understand the reason for that, and when you understand that, then you can capitalise on it. You know, um, there's uh, a line in... Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy about uh, bad news, and uh, it says that uh, you know um, there's only one thing that travels uh, uh, faster than the speed of light, and that's bad news, and it follows rules of its own. And bad news does travel very fast. There's something about humans that uh, you know if you sell them that taxes are going up, not down, um, it seems to have a bigger impact and gets spread more quickly. So you've got to be mindful. I've got the balance wrong. I think uh, we're far too skewed towards uh, towards the bad news, and it doesn't really give a fair reflection of, uh, of real life. But having said that, you've got to understand that uh, if you take a country where, say, uh, you know, uh, good economic times are the norm, uh, then that's, if you get back to the man-by-dog thing, um, that's normal, so therefore it's not news, whereas uh, something bad happens, a factory closes, then that's perhaps unexpected, and therefore that's bad news, and therefore there's more interest in it, and it's easier for the journalists to sell it. So um, you've just got to be aware that the media is uh, rather skewed towards bad news uh, in countries where things typically go right. Um, you know, you could take, uh, if we go to Britain, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of operations performed in hospitals every year, but if there's one operation where someone makes a mistake and leaves the forceps inside someone and it kills them, then that's, you know, that's a story. Uh, and uh, sort of, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of successful operations are not a story in, in that sense. So you've got to be mindful of the negative skew of the media, but at the same time, if you focus on the impact that your positive story can have, providing you can show that uh, you know this will have an economic impact on people or an emotional impact on people or make a change to their lives uh, with uh, you know, a new product or a new way of doing things, then you can sell it if you present it in the right way. Great. Well, we're going to go to commercial break again now, and uh, after the break, we'll be talking about communicating on radio, TV, and we'll start to move into um, how you handle difficult questions. So we shall be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. 
Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper of BeMoreChemo.com. I'm with Michael Dodd. We're talking about uh, uh, working with some national media um, and some tools and techniques for doing it really well. Um, so I'd like to talk about, in this section, about radio, TV, and the newspapers. And really, uh, you know, start with uh, radio, Michael. What are your thoughts about communicating effectively on radio? Well, you're on radio now, and uh, your radio is uh, sometimes regarded uh, by uh, journalists as the best uh, media. Um, there's something about radio, it's sort of personal uh, in a way that uh, perhaps the other media aren't. And uh, it's also, from a journalist's point of view, it's actually um, a great world to live in. A lot of journalists set out to be uh, TV uh, journalists and then sort of fall in love with radio along the way. And uh, you know, if a story happens, uh, say, uh, you know, there's an earthquake in uh, Tokyo, um, you know, with uh, TV, you've got to get a lot of trouble to get it. You've got to send a crew there and you've got to organise getting the pictures back. Whereas with radio, you can just ring up someone uh, and, uh, you know, interview them over the phone in Tokyo and get the drama and excitement of it, you know, two minutes after the earthquake's happened or even while it's going on. And uh, so there is something about uh, immediacy and uh, the personalness of radio, which is wonderful. And, uh, you know, uh, as a result of that, uh, it's also probably, um, you know, there's, there's loads of radio time out there, 24 hours a day on most stations. And uh, so if you can come across in a warm, personable way, uh, there are lots of opportunities out there for you to get your story across on radio, whereas perhaps uh, television, by contrast, just wouldn't be able to afford you at the same time. Mm. So, what, so what are your thoughts about maybe you know, getting onto radio? You've got to be... Try to be fascinating. Uh, you know, you've got to remember that uh, the radio host is concerned about people listening. And uh, if you go on to radio and uh, you uh, want to be, uh, you know, a bit sort of dull and dry and not really interested, then, uh, you know, that is uh, terrible for your, uh, for your host. And so you've got to uh, project energy. And that's probably the number one thing that uh, I would uh, advise people going on radio because you've got to remember that people listening to uh, to us now, they're probably doing something else. They're probably feeding the cat, getting children off to school, driving their car. So they're listening to the radio as a secondary activity. So your your job and my job is to reach out and grab them. And uh, so you've got to have energy and, and enthusiasm to do that. So, uh, you know, if you're going on radio, uh, make sure you've got stories and also that you can paint pictures in people's minds. 
uh, people uh, in the media sometimes say that radio is better than television because in radio the pictures are better. And uh, the thing is that the pictures that we are doing if we're projecting our uh, our stories right is uh, we're putting pictures in people's minds uh, so that they can see them themselves. And uh, if you can do that, then you can captivate the audience uh, in a way that uh, is... Uh, it has a different feel than people sitting watching television or reading a newspaper. Yeah, I, I guess it's a bit more sort of, uh, when, when you're looking at the television, you're looking at someone physically and also the words, aren't you? Whereas if you're listening to the radio, you're, li- you're, you're probably listening a bit more intensely on the audio piece. Um, well, do you think that... Well, radio does kind of, you know, absolutely grab people and reach out to them uh, in a way that, uh, you know, is, is very exciting. And... Uh, you know, uh, there, there just is something about it uh, which um, is also just, just more warm and personable that people feel, and hopefully they feel as though uh, uh, right now when they're listening to us, that, that we're actually speaking, you know, just to them. And uh, that is something about radio which is, uh, is just uh, great about it, which I don't think you quite get on television. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I think sort of from my experience as well, have a think about, you know, what can you give, uh, not necessarily what you can get, because uh, a lot of people try and get onto radio because they want to, you know, try to influence an audience or something. But just go on there and just just give and be be generous, and then people will warm to you. Um, yeah, and if you're doing that, you probably do have more influence. Uh, you know, if you get back to the thing we were talking about right at the top of the program about uh, you know thinking not so much about uh, our organisation, we do this, we do that, but you're thinking about the impact that your organisation can have on the listeners. Then uh, that's a uh, you know, a much better starting point from the listener and people listening uh, at home or, uh, you know, in trees in the jungle or wherever they are, are thinking, ah, this person is talking to me. And I think also, I think, uh, you know, it's that authenticity, isn't it? You know, if you come across on the radio as being somebody who just generally cares and wants to help, that's far better than someone who's got a, a message that they've got to give from a, a corporate organisation or a, or a political party or something. It's, uh, um, it, I guess yeah. It's, you know. If you see it in terms of not uh, trying to inject your message like uh, like a, a physical injection in the arm uh, into your audience, but you see it more as a uh, saying things which will hit a resonant chord, uh, things that uh, touch on, you know, the concerns and challenges that people have. And uh, if you have that model in your head, then, uh, you know, I think the listeners are much more likely to warm to it. Mm. So what about, what about your tips then for TV? So we just talked about radio, but TV, it, 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 it's different because people can physically see you as well. Yes, and uh, therefore you have to uh, be aware that when people are judging you on television and uh, people are very judgmental on uh, TV, that they're judging you uh, in the first instance typically far more on how you look and how you sound rather than what you actually say. Now, that's not to say that what you say isn't important. Obviously, it is. But uh, you've got to actually say it in a way that, uh, you know, people will uh, uh, take notice and uh, in a way that uh, comes across, I suppose, as being uh, authoritative and uh, knowing what you're talking about. You know, they um, typically, uh, there's, there's a bit of an argument about the training community, but, but there were experiments done some time ago uh, about uh, which suggested that when people judge whether they like you, whether they trust you, whether they believe you, whether they'll do business with you, that in the first instance, on that initial impression, 
Um, about 7% is based on what you actually say, and the rest of it is how you look and how you sound. Now, there's some argument about the figures, but I think most people would agree that you do make a judgment on people, uh, in the first instance, more about uh, looks and sound rather than content. And uh, so... Uh, on TV, you just need to make sure that your body language is right. Typically, that your your hands are open and apart, rather than closed across your chest, or uh, or uh, often, uh, uh, as some people uh, are inclined to do, uh, they put their uh, their hands protectively across their groin, and it looks very closed and very defensive, and uh, it stops people warming to them. Mm. Uh, and I mean, how easy is it to get yourself on the TV? Uh, TV is probably is more difficult than uh, getting into your newspaper or even getting on your local radio station. Um, that is more of a challenge, and therefore you have to sort of get back to the first principles uh, of uh, making sure that you've got a story that's going to captivate. Um, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it is more difficult. I mean, uh, if you look at... Um, you know, a typical TV station, a radio station can be sort of, you know, doing news bulletins throughout the day, but uh, in uh, television, unless it's a, it's a dedicated news channel where they're doing it 24 hours a day, they're, they're typically only going to have a few bulletins a day. So the amount of target you've got to hit is tighter, uh, and therefore you've got to have a story which is uh, going to be uh, more obviously sharply hitting the lives of people to get on. And, and when you're standing in front of a camera, people who've not done it before, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a strange experience for the first time, isn't it? Talking into a camera. Uh, what are your What are your tips? Do you recommend that people go on media training to do that sort of thing, or or just you know practice in front of the mirror, um, practice with someone holding up a camera? I don't know. How, how would you recommend people who you know are going to have well, there is a lot to be said. There is a lot to be said for training because a lot of it isn't intuitive. Uh, you know, people can look bad on TV when they're decent, honest people and they're perfectly articulate, but if they're doing something wrong on TV and haven't had any training, uh, they can crash and burn pretty easily. Uh, let's take eye contact, for example, which is absolutely uh, vital on television. If you're being interviewed by a journalist and they are there at the scene with you, it's really important that you keep eye contact with the journalist. If you look down, you can look like, uh, you know, you're the guilty person whose fault the disaster is, even though it may not be. If you look up, it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, God, give me the answers. If you look side to side, it, it tends to suggest, well, there's an answer out there, but I don't know what it is. And so uh, the simple discipline of making sure you keep eye contact with the journalist is really important. And people make judgments in their lounge rooms at home when they're watching you based on what your eyes are doing. Now, if you're in the more difficult situation, and that is that you are actually talking straight to the camera because the journalist isn't there. Uh, the journalist might be uh, in Atlanta with CNN or uh, at uh, BBC headquarters in London, and they stick an earpiece in your ear and uh, you get told to look at the camera, which is uh, a potentially uh, you know, discombobulating experience for some people. Um, at that point, you've actually got to keep eye contact with the camera. If you start looking anywhere else, uh, it looks uh, to the people at home, uh, you know, it looks very rude, very disrespectful. So you've got to talk to the camera, keep eye contact with the camera and speak to the camera as if the camera were a real person. And uh, some people find that quite difficult. And so uh, on uh, the kind of training programs and masterclasses that I run, uh, you, you get people to practice it and it does take some getting used to. And then you play it back and look 
and see have they managed to keep eye contact with the camera, have they managed to talk to the camera in a warm, personable way, and it does take some getting used to. So uh, training can make you uh, look so much better, particularly if you have that big uh, TV moment where you're being interviewed, you're not used to it, and uh, you know where your reputation uh, can rise or fall based on a few minutes uh, on television. Yeah, so sound for some really really good useful tips there i remember when i first started doing this show i took some feed, feedback from uh, somebody with a lot of experience of of tv and radio and i remember saying that you know some of my intros are a bit labored so what i started doing is actually having a, a teddy bear sitting on my desk and i would try and have a conversation with it so uh, and i found that really helpful just to try and become natural i guess with the medium yeah, if uh, the teddy does it for you, Chris, then uh, keep on doing it. Because it you me. have to realise, however however massive the audience is, they're all a bunch of individuals. And I think people often get a bit phased uh, on radio and television. Uh, they think, oh, well, you know, there are millions of people listening to us, uh, which, of course, there are now, uh, as uh, you and I talk to each other. But the thing is that they're all individuals, uh, and what you're really trying to do is, you know, connect individually with each of them and to sound as though we're talking, which we are in a way, just to them. Yeah, uh, which, is, which is an art and requires a little bit of practice. Uh, it does. It's, uh, you know, I say it's not intuitive. Um, you know, someone could be perfectly articulate uh, in uh, normal conversations, but you stick a microphone under them, uh, you put headphones on them, uh, or in a TV studio, you shine lights at them, and the lights in the TV studios are very bright. And, you know, they typically end up sort of blinking like rabbits uh, caught in the headlights. And uh, it is an unusual environment. And uh, it's something, I suppose, uh, genetically uh, uh, we're not sort of uh, designed for. So the idea of uh, doing uh, the master classes in a TV studio, which you, you do if you, if you possibly can, or at least replicating that by bringing lights to their, uh, to their office and uh, shining them, uh, helps them get used to it so that when they do it for real, they feel far more confident and don't get uh, to that point that some people do where they just blurt out anything that comes into their head because they're in such an, an unnatural environment. Yeah. Uh, I watched somebody doing a, 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 tr a training session live on the Internet in a, in a kind of TV studio, studio being filmed, and the lights were clearly so hot that he just absolutely melted. He was just perspiring like uh, like mad, and I guess he got his nerves as well. And then the funny thing was that he, he then went and hugged uh, the, the the lady who was hosting the show. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I guess that, that sort of temperature thing is probably something else you've got to get used to maybe. Yeah, um, you've got to make sure uh, in uh, these uh, sensitive times that we uh, are seen to be acting appropriately. And uh, you also want to make sure that you uh, you look right as well. And, uh, you know, it seems odd, uh, particularly probably uh, if you're a bloke, uh, you uh, think, well, uh, I wouldn't really want to be seen anywhere wearing makeup. But actually in a TV studio, you really want to be wearing the makeup uh, particularly if you haven't got much hair and the top of your head can be very shiny because you can look very bad without it. And uh, you can look, you know, very shiny, which makes you look very strange on TV. Uh, um, you can also look very sweaty uh, under the lights and uh, you don't want to be seen there, uh, you know, on behalf of your company uh, with, uh, you know, sweat beads uh, dribbling down the side of your uh, face uh, like sort of uh, you know, Andy Murray at the end of, a, uh, of the Australian Open games that he's playing, you know, where, you know, it does look a bit sweaty and that's okay for him. But if you're in a TV studio, that ain't so good. 
And uh, so television is actually not real life, and you have to make some adaptations to it, and uh, that's why you need the training. Yeah, I guess it's one way to become a legend in your company, I guess, for the wrong reasons, couldn't it? Well, you can. <laughs> you can listen to the right reasons and the wrong reasons, and uh, the difference between success and failure is often not that much. Uh, and so uh, the training can make the difference between you know looking shifty uh, and looking uh, you know like a superstar. And uh, so yes, and the thing is that uh, you know with TV, it, it uh, is amazing how people um, you know make judgments about you so quickly. I mentioned before people are more focused on not so much what you say, but how you look and how you sound when you're saying it. So if you're on TV and you've got, uh, you know, tomato sauce on your tie or something rather, uh, you can be absolutely sure that, you know, um, people will tell you uh, that, you know, I saw you on TV. Oh, what did you think? Well, I think you need to, you know, make sure you wear a clean tie next time. Um, rather than engaging in the, the, you know, the fantastically important principles that you were talking about, uh, yes. the TV is very superficial. And the trouble is that you, you just basically got to play with, play to that. Yeah, it's hard to change human nature then. Uh, when watching TV, human nature can be very superficial. If you watch people in a pub um, watching television uh, collectively, they are amazingly quick to make adverse judgments. If they're watching a sporting fixture and someone does something stupid, you know, you'll hear all sorts of words come out to describe describe them. Uh, and if you're watching someone talking on TV, um, often they'll be commenting on, uh, why is she in that hat? Looks a bit odd. Um, you know, or, or why are they wearing a, uh, you know, a, a T-shirt with an odd slogan on it or something? And people get distracted when they're watching TV very easily. And it would be nice to say, oh, we should uh, be nice to reform the whole of the, the, the human race so that uh, people were less superficial. But when it comes to snap judgments, watching TV collectively, um, that's kind of the way we are, for better or for worse. So, you know, you can't change that. So what you've got to do is... Make sure you uh, make sure the behaviour of those who you're training to be on TV that they're aware of that and they make the right impression. Yes, I'm just thinking about the the royal wedding just came into my mind and the thing that I think about straight away with the royal wedding is Beatrice's hat. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you remember that? It does. Yeah, I was actually live on air uh, in uh, BBC in London uh, as an Australian, uh, sort of giving a. a uh, a slightly Republican uh, perspective on uh, what was going on. And, uh, yeah, uh, we had a monitor up there. And uh, and I suppose just like I'm saying, you know, we, we get distracted by very superficial things. Uh, but the superficial is important in television. And uh, you've got to make sure that uh, you're uh, aware of it. And, uh, you know, um, uh, both what you wear and, uh, and how you look um, is uh, overwhelmingly important. And you can burn up a career uh, in an amazingly short period of time uh, if you uh, if you get it wrong, so let's let's we've not, we're running getting, getting a bit short on time now. We've only got a, a few minutes left, so I just wonder where your tips are around newspapers and magazines. Well, you've got to remember that uh, people think, oh, uh, broadcast is probably hard, um, and they probably are asking you perhaps tougher, more challenging questions than a newspaper reporter will, but. In some ways, uh, talking with, uh, doing an interview for the written word can be harder than, uh, for something where they're actually going to take a snatch of what you say and broadcast it because you've got less control over the story. So if you're talking to a newspaper journalist, you might talk to them for half an hour, but if you're live on TV, then what you said in that half an hour would out, would be out there and people can judge it for better or for worse. But when you're talking to a newspaper journalist uh, for half an hour, um, 
you haven't actually kind of, you know, kicked a goal or scored a try uh, until they've actually written up what you've said and hopefully the right thing accurately and put it in the newspaper. So you've got to not just, you know, give them the facts in that time. What you've really got to do is persuade that journalist that this here, what you say is the important bit, really is the important bit. Uh, and uh, because if they've got half an hour's worth of material to, to choose from, it's very uh, easy for them to choose something that you don't think is that important. And often people make some throwaway line that they haven't thought about very much. And that's that's the story, as opposed to the thing that they were really planning on being the story. So it's um, it's very easy to sort of get trapped up into the journalist's questions and to sort of get off your agenda and uh, perhaps be saying things that you haven't properly thought out and giving the journalist a lot of scope to choose what they think uh, is the story. And uh, that uh, can uh, lead to a certain amount of embarrassment when you actually look at the headline uh, and see your quote. Not so much when you've been inaccurately quoted, but when you've actually been accurately quoted, but what you actually said in your accurate quote isn't really the point you wanted to make. Mm. I guess you've got to be... uh You've got to be careful that you don't, um, for example, have a drink while you're talking with them in a relaxed setting as well. So, yeah, I mean, uh, journalists traditionally have been fond of a drink, although I think they drink uh, considerably less than they used to these days, um, as uh, uh, probably underlined by the conversation earlier about journalists having to work harder uh, than before. A TV, you definitely don't drink anywhere near it uh, you know, before you go on because it doesn't take very much alcohol to just uh, be spottable on, on TV that there's something at your eyes or you look that you can tell if someone's been drinking. In a newspaper interview, uh, the real danger is that, uh, you know, over a glass of wine or two, you get lulled into a sense that, oh, it's just a chat. You know, we're just having a conversation. And sure, it is a conversation, and sure, you should be conversational, but you've got to remember that everything for that moment that you are talking to the journalist or everything there is you are talking on behalf of your organization, on behalf of your company. And so you've got to remember uh, the real message that I give to people is is don't be lulled into thinking that it's just a normal conversation because it isn't. Uh, From your point of view, it has to be more carefully thought out. Uh, It has to be less spontaneous, I suppose, because if you are totally spontaneous and you just say what comes into your head, you can get some very, very embarrassing results. I guess also be sometimes in a a situation maybe where there are journalists about, uh, be a bit careful about what you actually say to people. Make sure you don't share anything too confidential. I had a situation when I was uh, working in a big company and I had to very very close to having to fire a supplier because at a, an event they've been uh, boasting a little bit after a drink about some work they were doing with the company but was really confidential and it got splashed all over the papers. <laughs> um, very embarrassing. Yeah, well, you've got to remember, I mean, the journalists, uh, you know, are working in different countries under different codes, but, you know, there, there are codes of ethics and uh, journalists, uh, you know, are obliged uh, to keep confidences and uh, most of them will. But the thing is, you can't just say something and then say later on, oh, that was in confidence. Um, you've got to do it the other way around. If you're going to tell them something in confidence, and I would only do this for the journalist who you've really got reason to trust, uh, you tell them uh, in, in, in advance, you say, well, if I were to tell you something, you know, would you agree that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, perhaps if you print it, you're not going to um, say it came from me or uh, that, uh, you know, that I'll give you some information, some inside information that you, you won't put in the story. It's risky business, but uh, typically journalists will uh, agree to that and will stick to the agreement. 
the danger is, though, that if you're going into it saying, well, this is off the record, here's some absolutely uh, scintillating information, uh, but uh, you give it to the journalist saying, well, here's the information, uh, you, can, you, you can't use it. That's really untenable, because if you think about it, if it's a big enough story, the journalist will then go to other contacts and uh, if to hunt out uh, verification for the story, and if they get it, they're inclined to run it. And then if you go to them and say, well, I told you that off the record that you couldn't use it, well, you can't really stop someone using information. And they would typically say, well, we spoke to, you know, three or four other people and they confirmed the story. They told us. So, um, you know, it's a very dangerous area. So, yes, you do want to be on your guard. Journalists can be friendly, but while you're in that sort of professional situation, I suppose you don't treat them uh, exactly like a friend. And you've got to remember that the journalist's loyalty is to their audience, not the person they're interviewing. And uh, they've got to do the right thing by their audience, which is get to the truth or get to the important, really uh, significant bit. Fantastic. So uh, we're coming to the end of the interview now. So just in in one minute, what are the final messages that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, Plan, prepare and practice for it. Uh, If you've got a media engagement, then don't leave it to chance. If you were trying to win you know, World Cup football, you wouldn't just turn up with your players on the first day and hope for the best. You'd plan for it, prepare for it, practice for it. So think it out in advance so that you're not just putty in the hands of the questions of the journalist. You are there with your own agenda with significant things to say. Fantastic. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it. I have indeed. Um, Fantastic, and uh, it's been, well, we'll have to maybe get you back at another time to talk about uh, handling difficult questions. But some really great content uh, today. Really, really enjoyed it. So, yeah, um, most appreciated. If you want some more for more information about Michael, go to uh, www.michaeldodd and dodd is d-o-double-d media dot com. Michael Dodd Media dot com. If you're even better, questions- it's Michael Dodd Communications dot com. Perfect. So michael.communications.com. If you any questions or feedback, um, please send them to myself or leave them uh, on my Facebook page, um, chris at bemoreachievemore.com, facebook.com um, slash bemoreachievemore. Sign to the newsletter and I will um, update you with uh, what's... Um, uh, what shows and things are, are coming up each month. Uh, next week, we've got Neil Lawton, who's an adventurer. He's climbed the, climbed Everest twice. We're going to talk about leadership. He's done some amazing um, adventuring activities. He's set up a business and um, grew it to £40 million and sold it. And so we're going to talk all about uh, leadership next week. So do join us again next week. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week. <laughs> for listening to be more achieve more please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time typically 4 p.m london on the voice america business channel enjoy your week